0: Good to see everyone here. Ah, how much fun! How exciting to be back at Women, Women in the Word. Welcome. You know this is uh, exciting. It's so much like the first day of school. I used to love the first day of school. You know, you come in and you meet your teacher, and that's kind of like you go to your small group and meet that small group. Uh, leader, and and then you kind of look around and see the women at your table, and that's kind of like looking around the classroom. I was all looking around to see if I knew anybody who was going to be my friend this year. Hope you guys are looking at that. Then there was the assembly time, you know, where after you learned about the uh, guidelines and the uh, schedule and you kind of went over that in your small group, then you went to assembly. And uh, our assembly time is this time of worship uh, where we sing and we praise God and what an excellent job. Thank you, Vicki, and thank you, worship team. I love that flute and that addition to the um, music team, those voices and those words of those songs. How beautiful. How fun. It's like the first day of school. But I know not everybody likes the first day of school. Sometimes if you're brand new, you're kind of nervous. And so I'm wondering how many are here today for the very first time ever to Women in the Word. Raise your hand. Let me. Whoa! Look at that. Good job. Yeah, thank you. Give them a hand. I want to say a special welcome to you. We're glad that you, uh, came on, even though it might be a bit nervous, and I hope that you have found someone that's been uh, smiling and warm and kind to you, because we want you to feel warm and safe, and we want you to come back. If you feel like you need to know someone else, I would love to meet you, so come up front afterwards and and introduce yourself to me and let me introduce myself to you and, and meet you. What a great morning. I am Deb Haygood. My husband is Scott, and I have two children, Rachel and Ben. They're both married to Mike and Aaron. Those are my son-in-law and daughter-in-law, and they are the best. I love them dearly like they're my own children. And I have three grandchildren, little Dylan and Hallie. And then July 1st, we had baby girl Finley born. And what a precious little girl she is. I feel so blessed. But the greatest blessing of all is God's word to me. God's Word is the greatest blessing that He's given me. Because this, his, the Bible is God's words of life and words of love. It's God's love story to me and to you. And He wants us to be a part of His story. So what a blessing the Word of God is. And I'm so glad to be here this morning. I'm part of the teaching team. There will be um, six other teachers coming along um, after me this semester. And we are going to be studying walking with Jesus, lessons he taught along the way. Each of us will write our own questions and develop our own lessons, but we have this theme of walking with Jesus. Now, I think everybody got a verse sheet and an outline. They were handing those out. If you want to follow along with the outline, you can. As you can probably tell from the title of this study, we're going to look at different lessons... That Jesus taught primarily to his disciples, but also to um, other individuals. Sometimes there would just be one or two, like the woman at the well or Nicodemus. Sometimes there would be big crowds of people, like those on the hillside when he taught the Beatitudes. Each week we're going to look at a different lesson. We're going to look at a lesson on relationships and on forgiveness and anger and um, prayer. And next week we're going to look at a lesson on suffering. What did Jesus have to say about suffering. What does he teach us about suffering? I think it'll be very interesting, and Lynn Kitchens will be teaching. So I hope you um, come back for that. We're going to walk alongside Jesus this semester as we read and listen to his words in the Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why would we want this? You know, I thought about that a lot last spring when I was coming up with these lessons and um, developing this uh, study, and the answer was very easy for me because I thought, we want to study Jesus' words because we love Jesus. And when we love someone, we want to know about them. We want to know what they care about, and we want to know what they think is important. And those things become important to us when we love someone. And I love Jesus. I want to know Jesus more and more. I want to know what Jesus cares about and what he thinks is important because I want those things to be important to me. And I think knowing that will change me. It will change the way I talk. It will change the way I think. It will change the way I act because I want to care about those things that Jesus cares about. My prayer is that this will be an exciting study for you as well. And when we end in November, we will look and see that change has taken place in all of us. So today, I thought we would um, start with a little introduction to this study. The title, Walking with Jesus, shows action. Walking implies movement. The definition in the dictionary says this. Walking is to go or advance on foot, to move by steps. I love to walk on a trail, uh, in the mountains, in a new city, and I love especially to walk along the beach next to the ocean. And I really prefer to walk with someone because I like to walk and talk. And I also learned this summer that um, I like to walk with someone because it is safer. Now, I've been walking with a friend for many years, over 20 years, and um, I never realized just how much she would always say, Dad, watch the branch, you know, you're getting off the path. You know, she kind of, I was talking and she was helping me stay on the path. I never realized that until this summer. Her schedule was very busy and she couldn't walk with me. So I walked by myself. And ladies, two different times I stumbled and fell to the ground. Now, that's not really very funny because when you're my age, you can't be falling down. First of all, it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, and secondly, you get hurt. You get hurt when you're my age. When you fall down, something hurts. The second time, and I haven't told this story to anybody except my friend because I was begging her to start walking with me again. About four weeks ago, I was walking along the Tanglewood Trail, and I had my new phone, and um, I was by myself, and a message came up. And so I looked down, you know, to try to be on top of it, and started reading the message, and the next thing you know, I had drifted off the trail, I turned my foot, I fell down flat, hit my knee on this, like, jagged, rocky part. Um, My glasses flew off. My visor is askew. My foot's killing me. And the first thing I do is look around to see. Did anybody see me fall? When all of a sudden I hear this voice behind me. Stay put, little lady, and we'll be right there to help you up. Now, two elderly gentlemen, older than me, come walking up. I've seen these guys on the trail before. They come walking up. They each, you know, kind of bend over, take an arm, pull me up. I am really totally, you know, how are you? What happened? Did you fall? You know, blood's running down my leg. I'm trying to get a Kleenex and wipe it off and get my glasses back on. And I'm fine. I'm fine. You guys just go on. I'm fine. I mean, out of embarrassment, even though my foot was coming, I just turned and started walking. You know, I just thought, i got, I got to keep walking. It's embarrassing. Um, I'm glad to report that my friend is back walking with me. So I think I'm going to be safe. But I thought a lot this summer about walking with Jesus. And I thought, how safe we're going to be this semester walking with Jesus. How the lessons that we learn are going to keep us from stumbling. Another definition of walking is to conduct oneself or behave in a particular manner, to live. Now you've heard that definition. You've heard people ask you, how's your walk? And they mean, how's your Christian life? Or maybe you've heard people say, walk your talk. And that means to live out your life so that your actions match up with your words. Our walk is how we live. And we want to be people that are always walking with Jesus. A third comment about this title, Walking with Jesus, it implies a relationship. We're walking with Jesus, a person. Our faith is not a bunch of ideas or ideals like so many other religions. Our faith Our belief is based on a relationship. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. We're not just going to sit at a desk and study these lessons. We're going to walk with Jesus as we listen to the words that he has to say to us. We want a relationship. And Jesus wants to walk alongside us every day, all day. It reminded me, I have a friend that gave me um, this little devotional book called Dear Jesus... It's little devotions and uh, the author writes a prayer to Jesus and then Jesus answers back and she uses scriptures to come up with these things that Jesus answers back in her prayer. And so she starts out saying, Dear Jesus, spending time in your company, keenly aware of your presence is utterly delightful. However, I confess that the dailiness of life tends to pull me down. My focus on routine duties obscures my awareness of you. I want to enjoy your continual presence in all that I do. And here's Jesus' answer. Beloved, wait in my presence while I reveal myself to you. Put aside thoughts of tasks awaiting you as you focus pleasurably on me. Allow awareness of my presence to become imprinted on your consciousness. And then move gently from this contemplative time into your routine duties. And then he says, the more you include me in your awareness, the brighter your day will be. Your routines will sparkle with the liveliness of my company. Jesus wants to walk alongside us every day. Now, for some of us, that's very hard. You know, I might start out first thing in the morning and I'm aware that Jesus is with me. But as the day goes on, I quickly forget that. It's my prayer that I would become more accustomed to Jesus walking alongside me this semester as we study these lessons Jesus wants to walk alongside us every day, all day long. So let's turn to John chapter 1, and we're going to begin by talking about who is Jesus. Now, probably everyone in this room can give an answer to that question, but I thought it would be a great way to start our walk by looking at what the disciple John has to say about who is Jesus. So we're going to look at the uh, first chapter of John, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So the first thing we see here is that John calls Jesus the Word. Now, the Greek word there is logos. Many of you are probably familiar with that. And it literally means speaking a message or words. And in John's day, logos was a very commonly used word. It was used in the Greek philosophical teaching as well in the Jewish wisdom literature. And it had the meaning of wisdom or divine reason. But John gives it a little different twist um, when he gives it personality. He writes the word with a capital W, and it refers to Jesus. Jesus is the word. And then John goes back all the way to the beginning to talk about Jesus. Now, Matthew and Luke, their gospels start with the birth of Jesus. And Mark starts when Jesus' ministry um, begins. But John wants to go away Way back to the beginning. Now, I want to say, this is kind of an aside, but I think it's interesting that each one of these Gospels begins by putting Jesus in a historical setting. Why is that? Because Jesus is not an idea. He is a person. So in John's Gospel, he wants to go all the way back to the beginning, and he says that he was with God. And not only was he with God, John wants us to know he is God He is God. Jesus is God, and he is in a special relationship with God the Father. And he is the creator. Jesus was involved with the creation of the world. Jesus is eternal. When you go back to the beginning, there was Jesus. Jesus already was. He is eternal, and he is the creator. And then if you look at verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus took on humanity. He was human as well as God. Total deity, total humanity. He was the God-man that came to earth. Jesus took on flesh so that we might know God. Jesus, the word, is the language of God. So we see that one reason Jesus came to earth was to reveal the Father. A second reason he came to earth was to redeem Man, to redeem man, reveal God, redeem man, God and man. Christianity is always about God and man, that relationship. So Jesus is the revelation and Jesus is the redeemer. So let's uh, read verse 4. It says, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Jesus is life and he is light. Jesus gives us life, both physical and spiritual life. Now the physical life we just read, that without him nothing was made that was made. He made it. And essential to creation is life. That's an essential part of creation. He gives us life. Physical life. He also gives us spiritual life. He came to earth that we might have spiritual, eternal life. And on your verse sheet, I have several verses that talk about that. These are some extra ones. Here in John 3.16, very familiar, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus tells us in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundant, eternal life. And then in John 11.25, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then when they came to John the Baptist and asked him about Jesus, he said this in John 3.35, The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus is life. And Jesus is light. And those terms go together, life and light. Light is essential for life. And we see here that without um, life that Jesus gives, we cannot understand the light. The light is the opposite of darkness, it means understanding. The light reveals and the light also redeems. Now we learn in uh, Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to the temple when he was eight days old to be circumcised. This was the Jewish custom. And when they got there, they met Simeon. He was a devout and righteous man. And when he took the baby Jesus in his arms, he recognized him as the Messiah. He had been waiting for God to show him the Messiah. And he recognizes this is the Messiah. And so then he lifts up this praise to God that he's seen the Messiah. Now, I want to read um, in his praise. We're going to look at that in a second. But he quotes something from Isaiah. Isaiah nine six, and I want to read that to you first so you see this there. And this is um, God talking about the Messiah that he was going to send. And it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Simeon, when he lifts up his praise, says this in Luke 2, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the gentiles and for glory to your people Israel Jesus is the light and he came not only to the Jews but also to the gentile as well light reveals and it also redeems Jesus tells us this in John 8:12 when Jesus spoke again to the people he said I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Let's go on and look at verse 6. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. Now, let me mention this. Your small group leader probably told you, but the book of John, the Gospel John, was written by John the disciple. And when he talks about John in his Gospel, he's talking about John the Baptist. John the disciple when he wrote this book, never refers to himself as John in this gospel. He always talks about himself with the word disciple or the one whom Jesus loved. So when you see the word John in the gospel of John, you can know it's not the author, but it's John the Baptist. And so he's telling us here about John the Baptist. And it says that he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. John the Baptist was the forerunner. And verse 10 says, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. You know, what a sad verse that is. Here's Jesus, the creator of the world, and yet when he came to earth, they did not recognize him. But verse 11 tells us, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And when he talks about his own, he means um, the Jews there. Um, in the Old Testament, we know that, and I love how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he promised him land and descendants and blessing, and part of that blessing was Jesus. And so Abraham and his son Isaac and his family, and Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob's Twelve sons and their families, they made up Israel. They were called Israel. And over years, they grew and grew in number until they became a nation. This was God's people, the Jews. They also, over the years, grew farther and farther away from the heart of God. Until when the time was right, God sent the Son, Jesus, to earth to bring his people back to him to save them from their sins and to reconcile them back to God. But we learn here that the Jews did not accept Jesus. They would not have it. Now when I say the Jews, I mean the vast majority of the Jews. There was always a faithful remnant of Jews who loved God and had their hearts turned towards God. And there was this faithful remnant of Jews that recognized Jesus and followed Jesus. But the vast majority of the Jews did not. And the disciples and Paul went out to the Gentile world um, to tell them about Jesus. And so we read in verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So whoever accepts Christ, believes in Jesus, they become children of God. Not born of human descent, but born of God. It is a mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. We receive Jesus when we believe that he is the Son of God who came to earth to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And when we believe, we become children of God. We are reconciled to God, and He is our Father. Verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now this is John the disciple saying, I have seen Jesus, the one and only. He came from the Father. He is the one and only Son of God. He is unique. He is glorious. He is full of grace and truth. And John says, I have seen His glory. I have seen His glory. I know Jesus. I walked with Jesus. I lived with Jesus. I know Him. I beheld His glory. I beheld His glory um, in His life, in His miracles, in His teaching, and in His death and resurrection. I know Jesus, I beheld his glory, and he is full of grace and truth. And then we go on in verse 15, and he begins to talk about John the Baptist's testimony, and he says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Now, John the disciple, the author, is trying to explain this confusing statement that John the Baptist had made when he was walking um, along before Jesus. He was talking about, one's going to come after me who was before me. Can you imagine how confusing that is? But John, the author here is saying, that is Jesus he's talking about. The one that was from the very beginning of time. The one that was with God that made creation. He came after John the Baptist to save us from our sins. This is who he's talking about. And the people then would have known John the Baptist. He was a very familiar figure to them. And then verse 16, and I love this verse, "...from the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another." One blessing after another. When I read that, I think of the ocean, and I think of the waves coming in. One wave after another. Never stopping, never ending, never changing direction always coming in towards the shore. I grew up in Miami, Florida, and besides my family, the thing I miss the most is the ocean. I love to sit on the beach, and I love to look out at the ocean and watch the waves come in. Oftentimes in Miami, they can be gentle and smooth waves, and there's space between them, but they never stop. Sometimes the ocean can be wild, and the waves just crash in, one on top of each other so fast. And I think this is what God's blessings are like. They're always coming to us. They're never ending, never stopping. Sometimes small blessings slowly. Sometimes they're just crashing down the blessings of God upon us. Do you look for the blessings of God in your life? They're coming at you without stopping. Maybe it's when you get out of bed in the morning and you jump up and there's not one thing that hurts on your body and you think, thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Maybe you get out of bed and everything hurts on your body, but you're so glad that you can still get out of bed, and you think, God, what a blessing. Maybe you look at your window because you've gotten up early, you're a little tired, but you see that pink sunrise coming up, and it warms your soul, and you think, thank you, God, for that blessing. Maybe your little baby has smiled for the first time at you, and you think, thank you, God, for that blessing. Maybe you've called your grown child, and at the end of that conversation, they said, I love you, Mom. Thank you, God, for that blessing. Or maybe it's a friend. Oh, how God blesses us with sweet friends, and they encourage us, and they love us, and they, they walk alongside us. Thank you, God. What a blessing for my friends. Maybe it's your spouse that's done something special for you. Maybe it's a trial in your life that's come your way that you're just burdened under. But you know, God has his hand in it, and he's taking care of you, and you think, thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Look for those blessings in your life. Look at those blessings that are coming at you one after another. Look for them this week, and then maybe next week you can tell your small group about them, or if you're really brave, you can stand up during praise time and share them with us. Look for those blessings of God. John tells us they are coming one after another. Verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, this would have been big because you all know that in the Old Testament Moses was a big figure and the Jews knew Moses and they highly esteemed him. Moses is called the lawgiver because you remember he went up to Mount Sinai Um, And he got the law from God and he carried it down to the people because God wanted his people to stand apart from the others. They would be known as God's people. As they obeyed the law, they would see God's hand of provision and protection and blessing coming to them. But we read here, greater than Moses is Jesus because Jesus came revealing the grace and truth of God, not the law but the grace and truth of God. And then verse 18, we see John closing his prologue with this, uh, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. He closes... This prologue, the same way he opened it, by saying, "Jesus is God, and he has come to reveal the Father." And Jesus himself tells us this. Um, I've got John 12 down 44. He says it in several places, but I've got two verses here. This one says, "Then Jesus cried out, "When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. And when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me." And then in John 14:9. And Jesus says this. Now this is in the upper room. This is the Thursday night before Jesus was going to go to the cross on Friday. And the disciples are all confused. And Thomas has just said, show us the way you're going. And now Philip, bless his heart, he wants to touch everything. He says, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came to earth to reveal the Father. Now, when a baby is born, the first thing we say, we look at that cute thing and say, Oh, does he look like his dad? Or does she look like her mom? You know, we said that. We had little baby Finley born July 1st, and my husband and I looked at her and said, Oh, does she have Ben's eyes? Or is that Aaron's smile? We've pretty much decided now she's a little beauty. She looks all like Aaron. She's just a little doll. Jesus came, and he looked like the Father, not in appearance, but in his essence. The essence of God. The nature of God. Jesus came, revealing who God is. His essence. His nature. I want to go on and I want to look at a few other descriptions. In uh, the rest, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but a few other places. Um, Let me just, with verse 19, let me just describe what's happening here. John the Baptist was born to prepare the way for Jesus. He was given this job by God. So he was out in the wilderness preaching repentance and calling the Jewish people back to God. He was calling them to turn away from their sin and back to God. And that's what repentance means, to turn away from. And then he was baptizing them so that they would be ready to receive the Messiah to receive Jesus Christ because he was coming. Now, he had quite a large following. Some of the people were following him because they um, were listening to what he had to say and they were believing him and they were repenting and turning back to God and being baptized. Some of the large following were skeptics. They were people that the religious leaders had sent out to listen to him. It was priests and Levites that had gone to say, who is this guy? Who is John the Baptist? And what is he talking about? And so he tells them, I am not the Christ, but I am the one called to prepare the way for him. And then if you'll look down at verse 24, let me read. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this Lamb of God would have been something that Jews would have recognized when John the Baptist said this because they know the story from the Old Testament, as many of you do as well, that when Moses went to Egypt to take God's people out of slavery, God, um, it took ten plagues before Pharaoh would let them go. And the tenth plague was when the Lord was going to strike down the firstborn of every household. But he told Moses, and Moses told the Jews to kill an unblemished lamb and to put the blood on top of the door and on the sides. And then the Lord would pass over those homes, and their firstborn would be spared. And so that's exactly what they did. They killed the lamb. They each put the blood over their door and along the sides. And that night, the Lord passed over those homes, and their firstborn was spared But the firstborn in all the other homes was struck down, including the firstborn of Pharaoh himself. And in the morning when there was much wailing and weeping and crying out, Pharaoh finally said to Moses, Go, take your people and go, go. And so he took them across the Red Sea and into the wilderness toward the Promised Land. And every year after that, the Jews celebrated the time of Passover by remembering how um, the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb, had saved them. John is calling Jesus the Lamb of God because Jesus' death on the cross would be the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. It would be the sacrifice that would atone for all our sin, your sin and mine. Jesus would be the perfect sacrifice for sin. We read that many places in the New Testament, but Mark 10.45 says it like this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then Hebrews 10.10, the author tells us, by that will, and this is the will of God, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. His blood shed on the cross covers my sin so that I am made holy and I am reconciled with the holy God. I can be in relationship with God for eternity. Jesus did this for me and he did this for you. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he came to give his life so that we may live. And when you believe this, he is your Redeemer. Let's go on and look at some of the rest of John the Baptist's testimony. Verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. He's talking about God here. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I want to look back at Matthew. Um, If you want to turn to Matthew 3, you may, or just listen as I read it. I don't have it on your verse sheet. But this is Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And here's the important part. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased so John the Baptist could say, without a doubt, unequivocally, I know that Jesus is the Son of God, because God the Father said so. Jesus is the Son of God. Let's read on a few more verses here, and we're going to uh, finish up. <clears throat> Excuse me in a minute. Let's look at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "'Look, the Lamb of God.'" Okay, now, we've already said that John the Baptist had a large following, and some of those were following him, and they were listening to what he had to say. They were learning from him. And the word disciples there, the Greek is mathetes, and it means learner. They were learning from John the Baptist. They were his disciples. But John points them to Jesus, two of them, and he says, "'Look, there is the Lamb of God.'" And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now you might want to circle followed because this is like a foreshadowing of what was going to happen. These two disciples happened to be Andrew, the brother of Peter, and John, the author of this gospel. And they would follow Jesus then and it would change their lives because they would follow Jesus the rest of their lives. Verse 38 says, Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. So they went and they followed Jesus and they kept following him throughout his life and the rest of their lives. And they called him Rabbi, which means teacher. And he was going to be their teacher. He would teach them many lessons, and those are what we're going to be looking at this semester. And when you look through the Gospels, oftentimes they called him Rabbi, clear to the end. They would call Jesus Rabbi, which means teacher. He's going to be our teacher this semester as well. There's a couple places in the scriptures that talk about his teaching. It talks about what an amazing teacher he was, uh, how surprised people were when they would hear the words that come from his mouth. Mark 6.34 says this, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He taught them out of compassion. And then Matthew 7.28 says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They could see that Jesus was different. What he had to say was different. It was different from what the other teachers of the law had said. And he taught in a way that was different. We don't know exactly what that was, but somehow it came across as authority, as truth. And they recognized that. So Rabbi is on your outline, teacher, and he will be our teacher. Jesus is a great teacher. But I don't want to end with teacher and have any of you walk out of here today and think that Jesus was just a teacher. Sometimes I've heard people that are not believers in Jesus, and they'll say, oh, I believe that Jesus um, was a good teacher. He was a good moral teacher. Well, I want to read to you what... um, C.S. Lewis says about that. Forgive me for reading, but he says it um, so well. In his book, Mere Christianity, this is C.S. Lewis. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus Christ, and that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Jesus is a great teacher. One of the small group leaders said today we should title this Walking with Jesus, Lessons He Teaches Along the Way because we learn from Jesus every day. He teaches us still new things all the time. But he is more than just a great teacher. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Word. He is eternal and creator. He is the light and the life, the revelation and the redeemer. He is the one and only, coming from the Father, full of grace and truth, unique and glorious. He is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And he is the Son of God. So what will you do with these names of Jesus, with these descriptions of Jesus that we've talked about this morning? You know, maybe there's someone out there and you've never really trusted in Jesus you've never believed Jesus and you're thinking this morning I want to do that I do believe Jesus is the son of God he is who he says he is you know you can just pray and tell Jesus that in your heart just where you're sitting that you believe that he is the son of God and that he died for you you want to be reconciled to him or if you want to come up afterwards, I'm going to be standing up here and I would love to talk with you, pray with you if you want. Uh, Wendy Lyon will be up here and Misty Denman and Lynn Kitchens will be down here too. So anyone wants to come and talk to us, we will be here. We would love to talk with you. Maybe um, those of you in here are believers but you've never really studied the Word of God before. I just say go home and ponder and consider these names of Jesus as you study next week's lesson. And maybe there are those of you in this room that have walked with Jesus many, many years. And I would ask that you would just let these names fill you with awe and thanksgiving as we walk with Jesus this semester learning the lessons that he taught along the way. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are a mighty God. Father, how we love you. Thank you for God the Son, for Jesus, who came to earth, totally man and totally God, to die for us that we might live forever, live forever in a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for these women that have come, that want to study your word, that want to learn all that you have to teach us, Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would bless them. Bless them. I pray that nothing would prevent them from studying the word and from coming to this study. Father, I thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. I thank you for the blessings that come one after another to us. I thank you for who you are. We love you, Lord. And I pray this in your precious name. Amen.